0: We come to an important passage today in the book of Mark. And uh, one of the reasons that, that it is important is Jesus has been asked a lot of questions over the last uh, three years of his ministry. And what's interesting in our text today is it's the last question. And Jesus was asked questions for a lot of reasons, uh, most of them to trap him. But we find a scribe a Pharisee, who apparently asked him a sincere question. In fact, Jesus tells him he asked a wise question. But when Jesus answers this question, the man is mesmerized. But not only that, all the crowds that are around who are Jews, who who had been taught falsely for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years, Their righteousness comes through obedience to the law and through performance. Uh, It so disturbs them, okay, that it said, the text tells us that no one dared ask him another question. After that, Jesus asked questions to his disciples. The disciples asked him questions. This is the last public question. So I want you to think about how Jesus would answer this last public question. Redeemer, we believe God's Word is the holy and inerrant Word. And so as I read God's Word, understand this is God's Word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which of the commandments is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Lord, where would we be without your word that you have been so gracious to condescend to us through the prophets, through the apostles? To reveal Yourself to us in black and white. Lord, where would we be without the ultimate revelation who is the Word become flesh, Jesus Christ, who lived 2,000 years ago, who teaches us today and uh, has been raised from the dead and has given us the Holy Spirit so that not only we, might we be near Your kingdom, that we might enter Your kingdom, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convert people today. Lord, that you would usher them into the glories of what it means to to truly know you in a way that responds in love and mercy toward others and love and devotion to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. If you've been with us for most of the year, we've been looking at the, the book of Mark. And what we've seen in the book of Mark, as we say each week, but it's important to assist your visitors, is we're looking at, at the gospel, the good news. Not good advice, but the good news concerning Jesus Christ, who's the Son of God. And what we learn through the gospels is, is this person uh, is the Son of God. And so we've looked at his person and we've looked at his work. And throughout uh, Mark, as Jesus starts preaching the kingdom of God, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah, uh, he he's always he's there's conflict for him, and then he calls us as true disciples of Christ to, to enter to enter into the kingdom, as enter into the phrase, to enter into the conflict, and we see this throughout the book. But but now where we are, if you're visiting, is and Mark spends a great deal of time on this. We're in the Passion Week, and, and what's amazing in, in the Passion Week, right? The triumphal entry in chapter eleven that we looked at. For three years, Jesus has been concealing who he is. And of course, we begin to understand why. Because when he comes into Jerusalem on that donkey, everybody knows he's coming as the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, that this is the son of David. This is the Messiah. And within five days, he's crucified. And you kind of get a sense of, oh, I get, I get why he wanted it concealed. Because it was not until this time in God's providence that Christ should be crucified and be raised from the dead. That week, what we call Holy Week. And so we see this opposition, right? And you see, there's always opposition to the reign of Christ. There's opposition this morning, I, I guarantee it. There is this resistance. It's like I want Jesus to be my co-pilot, but I don't want Him to be my king. Right? And and so, but with this opposition, the, the, the two the main the, the, there was the leadership called the Sanhedrin. Okay. And and uh, and the Sanhedrin con- consisted of two people: the the, uh, the Pharisees, who were more of the conservative party. They would have believed with Jesus about certain things like the resurrection of the dead, and that was the largest, that was the majority party, the very the very conservative party. And then there was the, the Sadducees. And we looked at last last week. The Sadducees were more what we would call the liberal people, right? That they believed certain parts of the scripture, but not all of the scripture, and they believed that when you died, you died like a dog, and that was it. You're done. And so, but, but, and so they were kind of always at each other's throats about the status quo. Who would be the leaders? Who would be looked up to? Who would have the power? And then here comes Jesus Christ and he's breaking all the status quo. You understand that? He's saying that you have been trained like a, a, a mouse in a, in a maze because you live in this world and you are, are of the flesh to think a particular way. And that the way that you think is performance, responding. Because that's what our life is. And so the power brokers uh, for, for, for them, for God, uh, they were the power brokers. And the people came to them for guidance and, and uh, uh, for affirmation that would affirm that, that they truly are accepted of God because they're the leaders. We just saw the day before Jesus really taking off the Sadducees because he comes in to, to, to the outer court of the temple where the money changers were and he throws over all the tables and all the system, the religious stuff that had been set up that rather than setting people free, that God is among them because that's what the temple was for, that they perverted the gospel and they were basically using religion to gain power and money. You see? And, and so, but, but where, they, where they are united together, even though they, they're power brokering all the time, where they're united is, here's Jesus coming in, and he's blowing them all away. And so the way that they challenged him was because they figured that they had three, four, five hundred years of training and teaching that they could pose the questions they've been posing to each other for generations. And so every time they would pose this question not to learn, not to grow, but to self-justify and to find a reason to get rid of him so things can get back to normal, he absolutely demolished them. He, uh, he knew the Word of God. <laughs> he watched the Word of God. And so there's this opposition, you see. Well, there's all these people around, right? Just kind of like we are here today. We're all around. We're hearing the preaching, and we're kind of hearing about Christ, or you go to RUF, or you go to Campus Crusade, or you go to some other ministry, and you've kind of grown up in ministry, right? And and so this... Uh, so." So a lot of people are kind of interested, some aren't interested, but then we find this guy, right? Here is a man who's a scribe, it says. And he comes to Jesus, and he doesn't ask a pat question. He's sincerely asking a question, and the reason we know that it's a good question is because later in our text, Jesus says, that's a wise question. You answer wisely. And then he says this, and I want to tell you guys, this is where I'm going to drive, and you probably, if you ever read my titles, I, y'all read my titles, don't you? Because I have to think about those a lot to tie it into everything. It's all supposed to fit together. It's called oratory skills, you see. Um, and uh, do y'all read the front of the bulletin, too? Please read those quotes. I work on those. John works on those. But anyhow, I digress. So, Jesus commends him and he says this to him you are near the kingdom of God you're right at it but he doesn't say you're in the kingdom of God and as I started thinking about this and you don't really get an answer as to whatever happened to the guy I I just realized well he's like a lot of people and maybe he ended up becoming a Christian I I, I don't know It it doesn't tell us there but but you know how there's a lot of people who, they kind of go through the religious motions, but they're not really asking questions. They help with Sunday school. They do this. You come on Sunday morning, and you like a good sermon. You like the music. But, but really, it's not exactly resonating with you. You understand what I'm saying? But then there's this guy, and it seems as though it's resonating with him. Jesus is tracking with this guy, and this guy is moving beyond the crowd where he's going, Whoa! What you're saying is amazing. But here's what I want to kind of get across this morning. You can serve the kingdom and not be in the kingdom. You can know Christ but not be in him. Paul's 150 times or so. I think that's what it is, Chuck. I can't remember. 150, 130. Paul Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, in in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So you you can know about Christ, but not be in Christ. I mean, you can know lots and lots about Christ. You can know tons and tons, but not be in Christ. And you can be near, but not near. You can be so near to the kingdom of God. You can be like this guy. You can be interesting and curious and a good person. You're not going to have an affair You, you, uh, you're not. uh, You know, you're going to read your Bible and get to know things and hang around Christ, but there's a difference between being nice and being new. You understand that? And of course, at the heart of the evangelical faith is not evangelical truths. That, you know, Christ, and, and believe the Bible is an errant word of God, and Christ, and we're sinners, and Christ died for sinners, and raised from the dead, and I believe these, I am an evangelical. No, you know what it means to be evangelical? It means to be born again. It means you've been made new because you've been converted, and you can't do that to yourself. So the question ends up being, how do I know? Right? I know some of you think, wow, we we get challenged a good bit about this whole business. Do do I know Christ? Well, that's my responsibility. It's John's responsibility. It's our responsibility to the folks who just came up here today to make sure that they get more than near. But you're in. Because to not be in the kingdom of God is to be in the kingdom of Satan. And it's to be completely hoodwinked whether you're a fornicator or or, or whether you're a church lady whatever you may be, it is to be hoodwinked. It is not to go, oh, and you say, well, how do I know that? Well, here's the question. Do you love the triune God? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you love God? And then kind of what gets all hooked up with this, and therefore do you love people? Well... I trust this passage will make things very clear. Now, this passage breaks down pretty easy. There's, there's a question that's posed about this. And then there's the question that's answered. And then I want us to look at a, an answer properly understood. We see the crowd, we see the, the man, uh, the, the, the scribe. So, uh, here's the, there's a question posed. Notice what he says in verse 28. Uh, and one of the scribes came and heard him disputing with, with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked them which commandment is the most important of all. Okay, so Jesus, he sees Jesus answering them well, right? So he, he is fascinated. And uh, so, so he, he, and what he's fascinated about is that how he engages the Sadducees. He's a Pharisee. He believes in the resurrection, and that's always been a big debate. And they didn't know how to answer some of the Sadducees' questions. And Jesus powerfully answers it. It says the Sadducees ne- neither know the scriptures nor they know the power of God, and he is mesmerized. And uh, and, and listen, why are some of us, Why are some mesmerized and others aren't? I, You ever wonder that? But he is. And so, he is is what you would call the the conservative. Right? He's the one that believes in eternal life. But everything that he had learned, everything that he had been mistaught, and they've been misteaching this for years, and he gets mistaught in places called churches that go for Christian churches that are basically no different that you needed to get God to love you by doing what God says. You merit God's favor, you merit his love. Now, that's what he believed. That's what some of you believe today. Even though you go, "No, I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus Christ." Well, I'm going to ask him, "Do you love him?" Or are you like you're always ticked off because you have to do more? Man, he demands too much of me and man, this is I mean uh, so, so that's a performance-based thing. So, but, but his question is this. Now, uh, Jesus, uh, according to our laws, there's 613 of them now. Uh, some scholars think 615. But what they have done is they've gone from, and then listen to me. If you, you think God is not good, God is so good. When he created human beings, obviously he had to give one law. Because, you know, I gave that one law. Let me tell you what. To go, I'm the creator and you're the creature. I'm the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, and you know what? I am self-existent being. You, you are a human being. And you exist because I made you. So here's the one law. Just, just, uh, just do what I say, and you'll basically, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and everything will be great. Let me ask you, do y'all think that's reasonable? I think that's reasonable. But guess what? They didn't do that. They, they, they wanted to be their own God. They wanted to to run their own lives just like we do. I don't want to bow down to a sovereign government. I don't want to bow down to a sovereign God. (laughs) I want to do my own thing. And so what does God do? He gives 10 more commandments. Right? He gives... later? Okay. Now here's what's important to understand about God gives 10 more commandments. And say, well why why if they broke that law, why does he give 10 more commandments? Well, what's kind of interesting is if you know, do you remember where God gave the Ten Commandments? He didn't give it in Egypt. He didn't give it there. They were in bondage there. Why would he put them under more bondage? you got to obey Egypt, and then you got Ten Commandments that you can't keep in the first place. No, you know what God does first? He delivers them. And then he gives the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are there, because we're fallen, but because God loves us, A, to show us what God's like, what we're to be like, but it's also because we're fallen to point us to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. Listen, I, 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 you know, if you're visiting you go, and you've always thought, keep the Ten Commandments, that's what I need to do. I need to be a good person. I, I haven't had affairs. And, and what, you know, let me just tell you, you're hunting up the wrong tree. The purpose of the law is to drive you to Christ. But here they have now 613. And so he's got a dilemma. And and so what what he's asking is, uh, is Jesus, can you kind of reduce this down a little bit? (laughs) I heard somebody put it this way, and I, and I think I agree with this. You know, there tend to be two kinds of people. There tend to be liberal people or conservative people. If you're not a Christian, you tend to be liberal or conservative. And a lot of conservative people think they're Christians because they're Republicans or, you know, because they're conservative. They believe in less government, less taxes, and, 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 and by the way, I don't, y'all know me, I don't make political statements. I'm not making one now. But on the other side, people tend to be liberal, right? Progressive, you hear the term progressive? That, um... You know, more government need to take care of each other and so on and so forth. And so here's kind of the way it works. And this is how people don't understand the gospel. People who tend to be liberal tend to be people who go, well, God just loves everybody. You know, why, why, why are you all upset? Why are you talking about sacrifices and these things? God just loves everybody. But anybody that knows anything about reality looks around and sees that there's viciousness that's out there. There's real evil that's out there. And just to say, well, one day it doesn't really matter. There's no accounting. There's nothing that's there. Listen, even if you were to believe that, you create your own standards if you don't believe in God's standards, and you can't live according to those. And and so that doesn't work. And then on the other hand, there are people who go, conservative people go, I believe in tradition. I believe in the law. I believe in don't do this and don't do that. And and so the, the others are denying the law of God, So that they can have favor. And these people are trying to get God's favor and love by performing. Do you understand his dilemma? Now maybe some of you are there. Right? And you're going, you know what? I'm not nice or you. And sometimes I serve, but I don't want to. And I know I'm supposed to love somebody, but you have no idea what they did to me. You talk about love and forgiveness. What are you, naive? And that's how he goes about it. And so he's trying to resolve this issue. So if you try to get love by keeping the law, you'll destroy yourself. You just can't. and And then you can't love other people. You can't serve other people. You know why? Because you're so busy going, now what are the rules? So that's the question posed. Yeah, that's the question. So. There, there's the question that's answered. He answers the question. Jesus comes and he answers the question. He does it here in verse uh, 29. And notice what Jesus says. And, and Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than this now Jesus is answering this guy directly he asked a sincere question Jesus doesn't answer a question with a question because the guy's not asking questions to justify himself but to understand What eternal life is? To understand who God is, to understand. Okay, the the sages. I'm asking you, Jesus. Now, the reason that Jesus answers him directly is because he's not coming with a question handed to him by the Sanhedrin. Jesus sees him as a free thinker. He sees him as somebody moving toward understanding what the gospel is. And Jesus was constantly, I think, John, you preached a couple of weeks ago on, uh, you know, they're trying to trap him on, uh, should you play Caesar or you should, you know, give the the tithe of the Lord. And, and of course, Jesus is, he always, he says, you're a hypocrite. You're you're not asking these questions to know me. You're asking these questions to kill me. And you see, that's what we want to do sometimes. We we don't really want to know the answer. Some of us would like Jesus dead. Or as Flannery O'Connor said, that Jesus in the South, he haunts Southerners. Right? Because he's kind of up there all the time, but you haven't really submitted to it, and it's up there. And you... But here's a man who's asking this question. It's not a question by committee. One commentator said this, that this guy probably couldn't contain himself, and, and he probably said the question, and went, asked the question, and went, "Oh, I asked this question out in front of all the Pharisees, and... <laughs> Okay? How's he going to answer and, and, and how's he going to respond to this answer? So Jesus responds this way. He tells him two things. The first part of Jesus' answer is what they call the Shema, Shema Israel. Yeah, you've heard it. And, and the Jews hear it every day. And it comes out of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, which which is the opening uh, sentence of every synagogue? Actually, here, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one. That, that that's the first thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the pointing to the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is one. Uh, that, uh, f- a faithful Jew said it every day. A pious Jew, uh, you'd have it; uh, they would have it on their walls. Uh, Mary Beth, uh, somebody when we got married, they, you know they did, the, did this cross stitch and it, it had. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And we, bam, it's right there where we can sit. I bet some of y'all have that one on your wall, don't you? And and, and so it's the, to look at that and you see it and you go, absolutely. That's why I should raise my children this way. I want to love my wife. I want to serve God. Uh, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Okay, in, uh, in other words, if, if Jesus said, number one, there has to be absolute devotion to God. The, when Jesus, in, in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about the blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word pure in heart in the Greek means an undivided heart. It is a heart that is fixed upon Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. And he says, you should be devoted right now, you this morning here in this room, you should be 100% wholehearted, devoted to God because of his covenant love for you. He is not wishy-washy. He's focused, and we're going to see that focus when Christ is crucified on our behalf. Of course, we've been seeing that focus of Christ. But then the other thing that he does is he he takes Leviticus 19, verse 18 that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this, of course, was familiar to the Jews, too. Okay, the Shema, love God. And you go here and say, okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Now, they thought your neighbor was a Jew. They hated the Gentiles. (laughs) They were excluded. They're not God's people. And yet, God told Abraham, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. They completely missed that. And so here's what commentators say. This this was what was amazing to the people when they heard it. What Jesus does is he takes those two things and for the first time puts them together. And what he is saying uh, is this. You you can't love God and not love your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor and not love God. I mean, those two things are inseparable. And so what he does, he he summarizes the entire Ten Commandments. 613, he says, heck, I'll bring it down to this. To love God, love your neighbor. Now, when I was uh, in seminary, I'd, I'd go out and share the gospel because I didn't want to learn a bunch of theology and not be sharing the gospel because that's what I was doing before I became, a, you know, a minister. And so I went to Washington University, and uh, a very, very good school there in St. Louis. And I'll never forget I was in the cafeteria and I started talking to this guy. Who had books all over the table, and uh, so I started talking to this guy, and he was Jewish. He was a philosophy major and he was an atheist and somehow we start talking about a- ethics and how do you do ethics as an atheist and so on and so forth but i never forget as uh, it's, it's he was kind of struggling through this whole idea about law he understood the significance of it you can't not have law we're all under law in some kind of way and so I quoted this verse well you know Jesus kind of put it this way he uh, no no I didn't even say Jesus I said oh, well uh, you know if you love God and you love people then you don't need law And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, Who said that? (laughs) He said, Wow, that's profound. He said, That makes absolute sense. I said, Oh, well, Jesus Christ said that. And so the question is kind of like, okay, so I'm supposed to like love people? I'm to love God like this? Now Notice, I, I need to kind of draw this to a close. So I, I need to come to the, the, last, the last point. Well, let me, I, I did have to say, I did have to say, let, let me say this. If your religion, if, if everything about you and about Jesus is oppressive, if it's like there's no joy in it, ever. I'm not telling sometimes, you know, don't grow weary in doing. I get that. I get that, but if everything is, uh, I need to be doing these things, and you're doing it from an empty heart, it means you have not been born of God's Spirit. Which brings me to the last. So, what's the response? to what Jesus says. Well, first off, okay, let me look at the response of the crowd. What does the what's verse thirty four say? And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. (laughs) That was it. They're done. Now let me tell you why I think that's the case. What they begin to understand is, wait a minute, you have completely, everything we've ever been taught, everything we've ever learned, everything we've ever known, you have just completely shot out the water because we have been trying to atone for ourselves by keeping the law. Now you're telling me you're going to expand it to where I have to love God and the law? And i got to love people? Who, who, can, who can do that? And you know what the answer to that is? You can't. Nobody. I, I remember my, my daughter. Uh, I still remember my daughter. But <laughs> I like remembering my daughter now that she's loving the Lord and following Him and all that. But she had her moments. Okay? And when she was wandering out there in the wilderness, and we also Mary Beth and I always believed in staying hooked up with our kids and loving on them and challenging them and all that. I, my daughter began to experience the, the, uh, the implications of what we call the above the ground sins. Right? The, the, the ones that are, you know. And, uh, and then she started uh, telling me, she said, I, you know, I want to do right. And uh, and, uh, but boy, if anybody knows they need the grace of God, Daddy, I know I need the grace of God. And I said, why do you think that? And so she gave me the litany of things. And I said, well, that won't help you understand your need for the grace of God. Those are just the commissions that you've done. Those are the lying and the cheating and all the other stuff that's there. And uh, she said, well, well. I said, you'll never understand the grace of God through the commissions, breaking those sins, right? I feel bad that I had an affair. Like if you're today, you've had an affair, and you feel bad about it. Okay, well, that, that, that's not the real sin. The real sin, I told my daughter is I said, honey, you will not even begin to understand your need for Jesus Christ until you seek to be obedient and respond to him. It is in your efforts to, to honor Christ to love Christ, to serve Christ, that you begin to realize that you're so far short that there's absolutely nothing but despair apart from the grace of God. You understand that? I know I've quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones many times in here, and I know I've made this quote, but Martin Lloyd-Jones told preacher students, gentlemen, when you preach God's law, you preach it to kill. Don't make it a manageable burden. Is the law a manageable burden to you today? Okay, I know I'm supposed to lie, but I don't really like that person. Then you don't understand the gospel. You've never understood the freedom that comes in union with Christ. So that's their response, you see. But what is the scribe's response? And how does Jesus respond to him? Well, this guy is commendable. Don't you see that? I mean, Matter of fact, he says, wait a minute, Jesus... Oh, so yes, what you're saying is better than all the offerings and the burnt sacrifices. And Jesus says, you're near the kingdom of God. So he kind of gets what they're going, whoa. And he's going, oh, okay. So yeah, that does make sense. And Jesus says, you're right there. Now, the question ends up being is, what happened to him? When I die and go to heaven, I wonder if I see. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But we won't know that from that text. But you say, but you see, to kind of be near something is not to be in something. To kind of get almost catch the plane for a destination and to get right there, but hesitate and not get on the plane. The door closes. That's it. The question to you this morning is: Are you kind of near? And you've become a redeemer. I like redeemers. The conservative church they preach the word. I like John's preaching. But... Uh, I was oh, y'all do communion every week, music that is not it you see to be in the kingdom of God is to absolutely get that you are completely doomed and apart from the work of Christ imputed to you, not Christ plus what you do to match that because when Christ died 2,000 years ago he died for his people and when he accomplished that work, it's over, and the Holy Spirit comes, and He opens your eyes to your sin, and then he opens your eyes to Christ, whoosh, and then you enter in. And let me ask you, has that happened to you? They go, "Man, I, there's, I have no hope. Well, you're at a good spot. Christ came for sinners. He didn't come for people that like to ask intellectual questions or religious people. He came for anybody here today that says, I have no hope if it's left up to me. I get this. I can't love God or love people. And then, bam, all of a sudden, you're in. And when you're in, guess what? You love God and you love people. Now, do I love? Does I, do I feel great warm affections for uh, everybody all the time? Church members, yes. I love all y'all. Y'all are awesome. Uh, no. But you know what? I've been angry at my wife before, and sometimes legitimately. Is is, ladies, is it, is, can a husband every now and then at least maybe be right? And be up, have a right to be upset? Okay, and I'm in the middle of being upset, okay? And then I hear Jesus put his arm around. Don't hear him put his arm. I just kind of sense this, okay? I, I'm trying to give you a picture here. And, and all of a sudden, I, I hear him kind of leaning over and whispering in my ear, and he says, if only she could be the bride you are. You're such a fine bride yourself. You're nothing difficult about loving you. And I can go from being hacked off to literally being in tears and going and hugging my wife. So I want you to know how much I love you. And it's got nothing to do necessarily with her. And she's great and I love her and we have a great time and all that. But, but to know I'm loved. Okay, so I want to close with this illustration and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. I thought about this this morning. I had to ask Sarah... Uh, um, uh, Curry and a couple others uh, about the giving tree. Y'all know the story of the giving tree. I want to close on this. The giving tree, right? And it was written by an existentialist, I think. A guy named Sal something or another. But, but I remember I was reading it to my kids when they were in school. Ben was about four years old and Elizabeth was about three years old. I was at seminary. And uh, well, I was just reading a books. Since so I pick up this book, The Giving Tree. So I start reading this book about this tree that loves this little boy, right? And, uh, and of course, I, by toward the end of the book, I start, I start crying. And, and uh, they're looking at me like, what is your problem, Dad? And well, I mean, I never read the book. But if you don't know anything about the book, here's the book. Here's the little boy. He, he's, uh, he loves himself, basically. And uh, so he, but he, 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 he had this tree out in the backyard, and he loved this tree. And so he, he uh, goes out, and the tree said, tree loved the little boy. And said, little boy, why don't you put a swing up here, and swing, and you play in my limbs. And so he played and had a great time. Left tree at night, went back inside, ate, and, and then, of course, the, the, the story goes, the boy gets older. And I say, he don't want to play with the tree. Uh, he don't want to swing and all that. And so uh, one day he goes out to the tree, and he says, uh, hey, listen, uh, I think uh, I, I'm in love. Oh, it's tree? Oh, that's, that's where I never see anymore. But anyhow, so he falls in love. He says, hey, listen, can I have your apples? Oh, no, no, he says, I want to buy her an engagement ring. And the little tree says, I tell you what, you, you take all my apples. And you sell those apples, and you get that money. And then and then, you, uh, then you go buy that girl a ring. And so he does, and he gets married. And, and of course, he doesn't see the, the, the little boy. For a long time, he misses the little boy. He loves the little boy. So, well, the little boy needs something again, right? So he comes back, and he wants to buy his, uh, build his wife a house. And, and that tree says, well, little boy, you know what? Why don't you just cut off all my branches? And so he cuts off all his branches, right? And he makes a house for... For uh, I don't know what kind of house it was. it was, probably a small house. But anyhow, you get the point. And uh, and so so then uh, so so then you know. But he's never happy. He's never happy like a lot of y'all. Never happy. Always mad. Always angry. Always upset. Religious or non-religious. And so then, of course, uh, he gets old and he's a, he's a, he's this kind of a middle-aged guy, and life hadn't turned out. and he and, he, and then and he gets the tree, and it's just this big, tall, you know. So he says, he says he's so unhappy, he wishes he could just sail away. And, and you know what the tree says? Y'all know the story, right? He says, little boy, why don't you just cut me down? And so he cuts the tree down, and he makes him a boat. And he sails away, and, of course, the tree's there. He's a stump, And uh, he never sees a boy anymore. About 20, 30 years later, the, the story ends where the, the boy comes. The, the boy's now an old man. He's an old, crumpy old man with a, with a cane. And uh, and uh, so the, he, he's kind of given up on life. And, and I think the way the story ends, he just says, Well, little boy, why don't you just sit on my stump? And so you see this picture of somebody who's giving and somebody who's a taker. And so, well, I, I was very moved by that. I thought, Man, that's just like Jesus Christ, right? You kind of know that's where I'm headed on this, right? so. So, but then I go to class, and I go to the class about the resurrection of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and I'm sitting in that class, and I went, wait a minute, that book's nothing like the gospel. Because, you see, this boy was needy, and he went to that tree to be happy. That tree gave him everything he could give him, and after he gave him everything he could give him, it didn't change him. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ is cut down for you personally, and he's not the Savior, he's your Savior, He transforms you. Now I ask you today, have you been born again? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I can't explain marriage. If you're married and you know what it means to be married, to be one with something, somebody, and ain't dating. And and you've lost your freedom. But, you know, I knew I lost a lot of freedom when I married my wife. But I gained freedoms I never imagined having somebody love me like that. I pray that none of you would be near the kingdom when Christ comes back or when you die. I pray that you'll be in the kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord God God Almighty, thank you for your word. I pray that you would convert people this morning. Maybe people have already been converted through this sermon. Maybe they were converted two weeks ago or maybe they're just starting to understand the gospel, the goodness, that Christ has come on our behalf. He destroyed the temple because he is the very temple of God was destroyed on our behalf and now he's raised to make all things new Lord I thank you for those who know Jesus Christ here today Lord I pray that you would just uh, renew their love for you their commitment to you that it would work its way out in holiness Christ likeness love for the poor and the needy love for husbands and wives love for moms and dads and brothers and sisters and friends and enemies And God, for those who don't know that joy, I pray today that you would open their eyes to the gospel of Jesus, and we ask it in your name. Amen. Those who would help with communion would come forward.